This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. I-, I led with the chin on that one and got what I deserved. Scott Owen. There's a mute button, people, don't worry. And Adam Pace. <laughs> it's good to see that you're listening. Starting now. And so that ends another week of Brisbane Raw Football, and we're here to review it all on the Brisbane Football Review, which kind of makes sense since that's what we decided to name ourselves. It's James Scott and Adam with you on a Wednesday evening, and uh, well, the women were on a bye, but we've still got two games to cover. Scott, how are you going after the uh, late outing in Perth last night? It was late, it didn't end well, but it was interesting, we'll look forward to talking about it. How are you, James? Oh, not too bad. I'm uh, thankfully now used to sleep deprivation given my day job and home life right now adam how are you going yeah good as uh yeah it's uh hard viewing that time of night but at least i wasn't that that's uh you know population that were complaining about having 9 30 games uh forgetting that uh the, the apl aren't doing it to screw everyone in the east coast but in fact that the uh that they, we have such a thing called a time zone yeah that was my favorite like, one of my favourite things about seeing the Raw play in Perth, especially now, is just hearing all the fans on the East Coast. Like, you can set your watch to it, complaining that, oh, why are they kicking off it uh, so late? Don't people know that we've got things on tomorrow? Why couldn't they kick it off uh, at 7.30 Brisbane time? Yeah, the best well, thing about Perth away, James, it only happens once a year. Occasionally twice, yeah. but yeah. And not always at that time of night. Sometimes you get it earlier, but it is what it is. I know. And look... It's a couple of times a year. You can deal with it. And I'm also looking forward to the inevitable complaints when the Raw have a midday kickoff uh, for a game in New Zealand as well. It's funny. No one seemed to mind when it was 2am Australia versus Denmark and everyone was awake. <laughs> yeah, well... Good times. well can we do, can we forget the Raw game. Can we talk about the Australia-Denmark game again? That's great fun. That was fun. I Let's go back that. to when Australian football was on the upward trajectory and there was nothing wrong, nothing wrong going on. Ah, uh, the glory days of six weeks ago. It, it, it's been six weeks. That was very quick maths in my head. It may not be six weeks. Feels like Doesn't it matter. Six Feels years. like a lifetime ago. Yeah, that is very true. Either way, we're very glad to have your company for the next forty-five, maybe fifty minutes. As mentioned, we've got a few things to talk about this week. We've got the Raw's win against Melbourne Victory down at Amy Park on Friday night. We've got the defeat in Perth. Uh, we've also got some of the news stories from the last week. Victory sanctions. Uh, a minor, minor bit of progress on the domestic transfer system and an incoming transfer for the Raw's A-League women's side. We might also take a look at what's coming up this weekend. It is kind of almost the middle of January and, uh, well, I think the uh, heat and humidity is really starting to scramble my brain. So what do you say we get into the match recaps and we will start with a 1-0 win at Amy Park. And Scott, I I know the victory aren't great right now, but they really, like, that is still a good uh, victory for the Raw, no pun intended, considering it's a venue they've struggled at many a times in the past, and they did find themselves under the pump quite a bit there. Yes, there's four wins in 32 visits prior to last weekend, James, so the Raw have found it very difficult getting a result down there in Melbourne, and you're right, it doesn't matter what sort of team victory are at the moment, it's not a great ground for the Raw, but... They came over with the three points. Again, I don't think they were their absolute best in that game. James, first half was a bit of a, a tough watch, but they eventually got the goal, didn't they? With a, a bit of luck for Jay O'Shea, the deflection going in. It was a good finish, and I think he had a really good game. And I think Victory, they didn't really challenge the Raw, did they? It was really odd. For all the talent Victory have got, they didn't really do anything. 
I know it was a weird atmosphere anyway because obviously they didn't have the active fans and all the rest of it in the first the first game back, but they just didn't it didn't feel like an old Melbourne victory away, did it, where you're under pressure the whole time. Normally when the Raw go to Melbourne, they're the Raw, they're on the back foot, victory are pushing and you're trying to scramble to get get a result. This game felt almost weirdly comfortable for the Raw. It was clinical and also with that little jab at uh, the victory scoring woes, that was straight out of the Tony Sage playbook, wasn't it? I don't, I just copy pasted that from his rant <laughs> on radio the other day. Adam? Yeah, uh, look, uh, victory, uh, victory. yeah, it's a very, very eerie time in their uh, history and we'll get on to the off-the-field stuff uh, uh, shortly. But uh, yeah, look, only 4,300 4, at, at the game on on uh, Friday night. Uh, take what take what you want out of that but uh, it just didn't you're right it just didn't feel like you know a game a, a Melbourne victory uh, away game and uh, it sort of showed but um, look victory on the stats so uh, they had they had a 11 shots on on target ta- oh, sorry 11 shots on goal six on target compared to the uh, compared to the Royals one the difference in the game was that one that that uh, put them in front so with 10 shots so Look, I think that the tail tape there is that victory while they were getting shots away, they really didn't um, they didn't really bother Jordan Holmes. I think there was one chance late in the game where perhaps it, the Holmes uh, I know made a great save, but other than that, it was sort of straight it was pretty much straight at him and he had a fairly comfortable night. Which is always nice when you can say that about your goalkeeper. It was a very comfortable night, but they had to do that without Tom Aldred, who was a withdrawal after a throat injury, Scott. They did, and defensively did quite well. They Connor Chapman came into the back three. We've seen him do quite well in that role. He's almost he's become that default extra defender that they bring in, hasn't he? And he did really well in this game. And it's interesting. Jordan Courtney Perkins dropped back into the back three as well. They put Joe Knowles James out on the left hand side this time. Not necessarily as a defender, but he was playing that wide role with Carlo Armiento further forward. So it was a bit of a reshuffled team, but it did work quite well, didn't it? Yeah. Look. I'll, I'll be honest, if I'm Joe Knowles, I'm, there's probably a part of me going, I was brought in as a striker, why am I playing essentially a left wing-back role? But it also seems like he's coming in and saying, well, look, if that's the role I've got to play in the starting eleven, so be it. Having pushed for a spot in the A-League for so long, I think he'd play anyway. Maybe yeah, even it's, goalkeeper. It's, it's, a Louis, it's a Louis Zavala factor. We all know him as a, uh, as, as a, you know, a, a midfielder, but he's sort of... Uh, Sort of, you know, come in and now known the A League as a uh, as a right back. So yeah, players like that, I think they'll just take the opportunities they come. But with that said, I think yeah, every every person that saw um, that saw Joe Knowles play at Oakley Cannons in the NPL Victoria would say the same thing: is that the guy's a striker? What's he doing that what wide in that, that deep? Hang on, we got to oh. flag that play. Where did he play? Oh, sorry, uh, not uh, NPL South Queensland, of course. The centre of the known universe, according to some ah, down there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Do we insert Warren Moon clip here or not? No, because I don't have it handy, so uh, we'll just stick with that little punchline. Practice for the other show. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is interesting just seeing the fact that, like, Moon is starting to get a little bit creative with how he's deploying these players as well. Like, I, I feel a lot better as Court- with Courtney Perkins playing centre back rather than as that sort of bombarding left-sided fullback overall. And, yeah, you're right. Connor Chapman came in and was overall pretty solid. Yeah, it is creative, isn't it? I wonder whether this is Warren Moon saying to understand exactly what he has in this playing group and what their strengths and weaknesses are, or if it's just trying to balance the group he has to get to now the transfer window being open 
and you can bring some players in. Because remember when he signed Carlo Armento in that trade with Luka Ivanovic, it was he was looking for someone to play on that left hand side, that left left wing back role, and he thought Carlo Armento could do that. And in fairness, he has done quite well in that role, but he's been pushed further forward because he's been a main goal goal scoring threat for the Raw this year. So I do wonder whether it's a case of he's getting to know the talent in his team and how they're best utilised or if it's a case of trying to get through this two- or three-week period and now going and reinforcing the squad. I think whichever one it is, what impressed me most about that and arguably the draw with Western United and to a lesser extent, the game with Perth, I think this current raw side pre-transfer window has finally discovered its identity. Like, we've been wondering, what do they do? And right now, I think they've discovered, look, they're not the most dynamic team I you know, I don't think I'm going to get yelled at on Saturday for uh, for calling them that. But I think they're a tough, scrappy side that is never out of a game. But they're also not going to record any sort of blowout wins because of the way that they like to play. They're really strong defensively, and that is going to be their platform week in, week out, going forward, even after the transfer window as well. And while it might not be the most aesthetically pleasing style of play... They know exactly who they are now, and that's potentially why uh, we're going to see them, uh, you know, experiencing success going forward, even if it might not be the most, like, stylistic... They might not be earning the most style points. I actually think it's more of a case of uh, Warren Moon. I think he's decided who his best 11, 12, 13 players are, and he's, he's just trying to fit them in. Uh, when he's... Like I said, Joe Knowles playing, you know, in, in, a, in a wide, sort of deep role. Again, it's unheard of. Um, Colin Armiento, as you said, you know, would start out as a left back. He's he's turned out to be a pretty um decent left winger. So I think it's a case of uh fit fit where they can because it, the balance of side on paper seems to be all over the place. That so you've got technically you've got you know five maybe even six you know defenders in that team, but then you've got guys like Kai Truen who you know made his trade as a centre back last year, playing in that midfield role and, and doing an admirable job. So I think it's a case of those players have understood, you know, they're the best players in the squad that are available right now, and they'll do they'll do the best they can as a team, rather than, you know, excelling in, you know, their, their special positions. And that, I think, is the one positive as well, is it feels like in the past we've had uh, players, you know, that maybe have been really strong scapegoats for the fan base overall, but it feels like even when guys do have off nights, we're not seeing anyone... Like be atrociously bad to the point where you're thinking, oh god, they need to be yanked at halftime or something as well. Like, it feels like they're finding ways to cover up the limitations and uh, bad games overall as well. Um, now, we should keep moving on because we do have another game to cover, but before we do that, I believe, Scott, you're doing the 3 2 1 Player of the Year votes for this game? I am, I better find. Yes, three points, Joe O'Shea, two Kyotron, and one for Nicola Millilsnitch. I just said I thought Joe O'Shea was. The player of the match in that game on Friday night wasn't he? He basically ran the show. He was always trying to make things happen, and he got that stroke of luck on Friday night. So he gets the three points this week. And well done for not using the luck of the Irish tagline as well, because you know if it's I right thought there. of it right, then I would have. I'm a bit tired today. Yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> all right. Uh, now let's move on because Jay O'Shea was central to the uh, main talking point of last night's two-one defeat away in Perth. It was a catch-up of the round six fixture that was originally scheduled for the weekend of the 11th and 12th of November. Uh, it was played out at Macedonia Park, which is very quickly turning into a little bit of a fortress for the glory with, uh, what was it, 
10 points now from 12 games there. And all things considered, I think the Raw can feel a little bit hard done by with the way that that game unfolded, Scott. They can. Oh, they can and they can't. I thought they started off quite slowly once again in the first half, didn't they? I mean, it wasn't the the greatest of road performances. I give them a bit of a pass because it was their, they had a four-day recovery and they had to go straight from Melbourne to Perth and it's not the easiest trip in the world to do so. I can give them a bit of a pass for it, but they weren't at their absolute best last. Like the first goal was a bit of a a bit of a shimosal, wasn't it, with the way that, that went. It wasn't the best piece of defending. I'm sure the defence and the goalkeeper wouldn't be overly pleased. But they did fight back in the second half and got themselves in a position at one all where you thought, right, the Raw have been a really good second half team. Can they go on with it? And then, of course, the big incident involving Joshua, who might have used up all his luck on Friday night because he has certainly had next to none on um, on Wednesday night, did he? Adam? Oh, Tuesday night, sorry. Yeah, look, um, it was one of those games where I think it was uh, still in the offing, even even you know, after after O'Shea's um, send-off. And we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a sec about the circumstances around that. But, look, I, I think the Raw were admirable in the fact is that yeah, they could have just packed it up and said, you know what, second game in four days, you know, 2-1, it's not our night, let's just, you know, let's just coast through this. But they really did make Perth look... Um, you know, that think twice about sort of you know, coasting in that last in that last um, you know superior twenty minutes or so, and uh, it was sort of you know encapsulated where you know Nikola Mulyuznich nearly you know earned a point with you know a free kick that just went you know high and high and wide, which uh, we've seen him we've seen him nail uh, that that you know early in the season in a uh, cup game. So I think that, I think the one thing, is, and I think that the common thread I think that we're seeing in this side at the moment is that even you know when things are going going against them. As they seem to do last night, they still are fighting. They're still clawing and scratching. You got, you got to give them credit for that. And uh, and I, I think it was a, it was a despite you know dropping three points. That, that's a eight game you know, undefeated streak down the drain. Look, there's still a lot to like about this side at the moment. There is, but James, petitions are a big thing at the moment. I want to start a petition now. Nicola is to take all three kicks outside the penalty area from about 25 yards out. I've seen him take two this year. The one against Heidelberg in the Australia Cup which went top corner and this one almost went top corner last night so can we start a petition Nicola Mills needs to take all free kicks until further notice it wouldn't be the worst thing I've seen on that change.org site as well I'm sure Warren would take great notice of it as well if we can get it to <laughs> a few, few, few signatures well, look, as, 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 Robbie, as Robbie Thompson put in commentary last night he's, he's, a, num- he's a number three uh, penalty, uh, free, penalty free t- kick taker behind Jay O'Shea and Carla Armiento. So, uh, yeah, but I'd say that um, after that, I think he, he probably deserves to be just a, maybe a little bit higher and get, at least be in that huddle, you know, discussing it before the free kick. He normally is, but he's also usually the first one to uh, run yeah. away as well. Yeah, you get out of here. We're, we're discussing so I think he should be the one taking it from now on, though. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, we may as well touch on the uh, Jay O'Shea incident as well. And look, I, I think we uh, were pretty much united with everyone watching the game, whether it was you know us Brisbane fans, Perth fans, the commentators, whoever was running the Raw social accounts on the night as well. Um, it was one of the more confusing incidents I've seen uh, in recent memory. And that really says a lot considering you know, what we've seen in uh, not just the A-League, but in football over the last uh, two years and everything. But uh, 63rd-ish minute, Jay O'Shea was shown a yellow card by the referee, whose name escapes me at the moment. Ben and Abraham. That's, 
Okay, I was going to leave him nameless, but there we go. Uh, and it, and then uh, he proceeded to produce a red card, which I think stunned just about everybody because nobody knew that he'd been booked in the uh, first half for what you saw, Scott, was a pretty rough challenge on Musti Amini. I, the, the second one was on Musti Amini. I'm not sure who the first one was on, but if you go back and watch the replay on Paramount+, Plus, when Perth scored their first goal off the kickoff, there's two passes from the raw and they turned the ball over on the halfway line, and Perth are away in transition, and Jay O'Shea pretty cynically hacked someone down. So that was a very clear and obvious yellow card. Unfortunately, the camera didn't pan quickly enough to show him actually receiving his yellow card when the ball did go out of play, because the referee just waved play on, because Perth were, were, had the advantage, so they just let it run. They didn't show the yellow card on the screen that I could see, so that's where the confusion came from, why we were all completely confused about why Jay O'Shea picked up a yellow and then a red, but even being on the yellow card, you can argue being on a yellow card, he maybe should have known better and not made that second challenge, but that's got to be one of the softest second yellows that I've seen in a very long time. That was a really soft decision at that point of the game. I Look, I think the uh, the foul in itself was uh, softer than what my son usually has waiting for me in his nappy first thing in the morning. And for it, even as a yellow card, it was just a horrendous uh, just like overreach in my mind as well. But taking all those complaints out of the equation as well, I think it's pretty clear that in some way, shape or form, there was a stuff up in the process of recording that first yellow card because when we I looked on flash score uh, straight away and there was no mention of the yellow card in the 36th minute. There was no... Like, even Robbie Thompson and Grace Gill who were in comms and they had no idea for it as well, but everyone at the ground seemed to be aware of it. In the uh, post-game press conference, both uh, Moon and Ruben Zadkovic said that uh, they'd seen the yellow card. I, It just feels like there was some sort of stuff up in the uh, reporting process. And for me, this is the massive drawback of the fact that a lot of these Paramount games are now being done out of a booth at uh, Randwick Racecourse in Sydney. If they're doing it at the ground, you're seeing so much more. And look, I've railed on my distaste for remote commentary ad nauseum. I think it's massively uh, and a conscious detraction from the overall product as well. But it is seemingly a necessary evil and uh, in the current state, which is really, really disappointing. But like, if they're doing it at the ground, then there's every chance that one of the two commentators should have noticed it. And even if they weren't at the ground, then surely there would have been a producer or a sideline reporter or someone who should have seen it happen. But because they're essentially running a skeleton crew there as well, it just seemed to slip everyone's attention. And when they went to the uh, two guys on the sideline, they had to go and check with the fourth official what was going on because they had uh, missed it as well. So it must have been the quickest yellow card in history. Yeah, I, I just sorry, I just had a thought then. I was thinking, this would have been a perfect Chris Cameron moment in the A-League. If, <laughs> if, if, if uh, Robbie Thompson had gone to Jacob Burns and gone, what what happened there? <laughs> I don't know, because nothing, nothing seemed to have been said. But I, look, I, I think, again, looking all serious, it's like, well, at the end of the day, I don't think it, you know, look, we, we can try, we can argue as much as we want about, you know, about whether Jay Shea, whether the card was, you know, warranted the second card. The first one was. That was just cynical and yep. off the ball. So, yeah, you know, I, I don't think many people are complaining about that, but the fact is the broadcaster missed it. 
Um, and, and, and not like just said, the broadcaster either, so I'm not going to completely throw them under the bus for that too. Yeah, that basically the messaging get across to, you know, back, back to the commentary. And look, at the end of the day, whether we, whether we like the commentators or not, they're, they're the source of information we rely on, you know, for those that are not the ground. Like the three and a half thousand at the ground, um, those that were in tune knew what was going on. But, you know, like I said, those who were watching the game, especially here in Brisbane, like, yeah, we're, we're all scratching our head around about, around about in the 65th minute going, how has Joe Shea just been sent off? You know, and yeah. until, until obviously then there was, the, you know, the sort of, I guess you call it the investigation... Yeah, like I said, we we even had messages on our DA, on our um, DMs asking what happened, and, and that's how we sort of started to explain it. The broadcaster missed it, but and Joe Shea got a yellow card in the sixth minute. Yeah, because we just thought, did he say something? Did that's he say he something th- like offensive or in one of those words you can't say? As he got the yellow card that triggered an automatic red, because that's what we thought. Because we had no inkling he got the got the um, first yellow card. I mean, they just scored the goal, per so we were kind of distracted by that. And, that but we had no idea it was really odd and this goes back to my whole like disdain for doing games remotely and again this isn't just solely a paramount issue as well we're seeing it as well with uh the previous broadcaster foxtel like they're doing games out afl games out of the mcg and they're telling their melbourne people to go to the studio in melbourne rather than uh commentating at the ground it's the same with the nrl out of sydney and Mm everything else as well and for me remote commentary is i understand it is a cost issue as well but it is deliberately reducing the quality of your product because the commentators just cannot get that same viewpoint uh of information as well and like i i've made no secret about it as well like all the npl commentary now is done um out of the studios uh at cooperu and look as as much as you know the company will do everything they can to make it as like manageable and whatnot for us and it's allowed us to bring uh re- replays and some of the other stuff into the broadcast as well it just isn't the same and there is a whole lot more guesswork involved which like as a commentator you need to be on the ball and like i can only imagine what was going through robbie thompson's mind when he's saying well i don't know what's going on here and that has got to be the most frustrating thing when your job is to relay information and you don't have the information that you should have he's really drawn the short straw the last couple of weeks hasn't he Robbie Thompson he, that game oh. last night he was unfortunately in, in the booth for the Melbourne Derby thinking oh, what a great game this is going to be turned out he had to fill for 40 minutes with all that so he's had a bit of a rough run hasn't he the last couple of couple of weeks Robbie Thompson and Look, the, I, I was going to say just on Robbie Thompson as well is that he's no stranger to doing stuff remotely and all that. that's pretty much what he did he was doing the English uh, commentary for I think the, the um, for Ligue 1 in, in France yep so he's not one he's not one that you know that, that you know that would he would be across the board but he's only as good as the people that are feeding him the information especially at the ground I think that's where the failure was, was between Macedonia Park and the studio in Sydney so I don't know for a second you know, blame Robbie Thompson or, or Grace Gill for that because you know, at the end of the day they can, they're can they in the same boat as us they, they have a bit more time than us because they'll get a live feed from, from the ground but other than that they're seeing exactly the same thing as what we're seeing so look it, it's, it's funny that you know given all the state of things in Australian football at the moment this is the one thing that we are complaining about the most is you know a missed yellow card I think it's actually a bit of a relief given some of the other problems and uh 
and that, that's a sort of engulfed uh, Australian football in the last like, couple of weeks. I think I was a bit about the game last time. Well, it wasn't the greatest of game. This is pretty much the only talking point we've got to <laughs> to go on out of the game. It wasn't really a, a chance-filled game, was it? It really wasn't. And I would also just point out as well that, like, I know for me personally, I'm really invested in, like, the broadcasting and everything, not just because I do commentary for Football Queensland, Rugby Australia and stuff, but also just because that, like, sports media is my background. That's what I'm interested in. That's what... Like I can still enjoy it as uh, as well, and you know I, I've got to be honest. Like Robbie Thompson has really just grown on me so much this year. He seems like he's enjoying himself a lot more doing these games, and yeah, I look the sooner commentary can be done at the venue, uh, a lot more often the better because like I, you grin and bear it, but I think just about everybody will accept that it really is just not ideal. But anyway. It's, right. I think, uh, sorry, as I just say, it comes back to, you know, at what level, like, I, look, you, you brought, you made the parallel about the MPL Queensland competition and doing everything while, you know, even though that we, you know, Scott and I, obviously, we're on the ground, you know, and, and most times, you know, and we're, and we're trying to cover the game. I, I understand and get it that, you know, at the end of the day, it's not the most revenue-laden, um, you know, competition. So, but you got, like I said, it, it's a case of at what point do we accept that, you know, the professionalism of the A-League, or the lack thereof, and like I said, having something like having, you know, having commentators at the ground, you know, is this way, I, I know they're trying to cut costs, they're trying to save costs, but is, is that an area that they should be? Because at the end of the day, it's diluting the overall product, and like, as I said, I'm not blaming the commentators for what happened last night, but then again, it, it seems to be very unacceptable that you've got you know, half, you've got your TV audience scratch your head going, what, what's going on? Because they weren't told. So, again, it's a question of, you know, is near enough good enough, you know, as far as the overall presentation of the A, of the A League, or is it, is, oh, if we just accept the fact, oh, that, you know, we're not, we're not nowhere near the standard of, you know, of the NRL or AFL, so we just got to grin and bear it. And that's also where it comes back to the personnel as well, where, let's not kid ourselves, Brisbane-Perth on a Tuesday night at 10.30 Eastern Daylight Time isn't going to be the biggest rating thing. So you're going to have a skeleton crew at the ground because it is you know, a remote broadcast done on the other side of the country, but you're also going to have uh, you know, probably not the biggest crew on staff on a Tuesday night uh, out of the production studios as well. But the thing that I kept coming back to as well, once you found out that O'Shea got a yellow card in the 36th minute... How was nobody thinking, hey, let's go find a replay of that foul that he would have allegedly picked up the uh, card for? Yeah. Or, because it would have been quite easy in a break in play, because there were a few, to maybe just have that replay queued up so that at least then you can sort of allay some of the criticism as well. And look, I keep going back to, this isn't a Paramount thing. Like, I'm not exclusively blaming Paramount because this is happening with Fox, it's happening with Seven, with Nine... Um, with just about every broadcaster here in Australia where, like, even looking at the Wallabies' um, spring tour on Stan, the commentators would have uh, previously either gone on that tour or they would have just taken the UK feed. Now they've got Sean Maloney calling it uh, at 2am out of the studios in Sydney. So, yeah. And I'm I, I, just think, I just think as well that if that's just a, on the remark about, oh, yeah, it's Perth and... Um, Perth and Brisbane that, you know, I, I don't know if that's, you know, 
I would hope that's not the attitude of the broadcaster and yeah, um, and the APL because look, look, you don't, you wouldn't see the Premier League even if they were forced to, even if it was, you know, I guess we, we say the mid-table games are the, the games are the really boring as as all buggery games, but that's, you still expect a certain level of service. I know maybe the fans might roll their eyes and go, oh. Who cares? Don't you call <laughs> Chelsea Liverpool boring? How dare you? <laughs> okay. Yeah, actually, well, just, not well, just on that as well, you do see a difference in production, though, for those games that aren't necessarily the biggest ones. And I'll jump sports for a second and talk about uh, the NFL. There is yeah. a like there is a massive difference between what they call the you know CBS, the Fox, the NBC, ESPN games of the week, and when they're sending their D or E crew and uh, to games where I think back to week 15 it was the New England Las Vegas game that was originally meant to be the you know feature Sunday night game on NBC but because the Raiders were out of the playoffs that got moved to just the D-grade Fox uh, US game and it meant that they didn't have enough cameras to correctly adjudicate on a, a Raiders touchdown now the Patriots did their best to uh, blow that game and kill off their playoff hopes as well because they were really badly coached. They did their best. Team. They did it, didn't they? Yeah. Patriots getting I mean. a call against the Raiders. Who would have thought? Yeah. Well, hey, that anyway. was a cr- that was a correct call in two thousand one. In fairness to Paramount Plus, I don't think it was the fact it's Perth and Brisbane. It's on them. Oh, we don't. We're not worried about. It. I think it's they only send the commentary team to the Saturday night That's what feature I mean, yeah. game on Ten Bowl. So I don't think it's anything to do with who was playing. It's more the fact of it wasn't the Ten Bowl game, so they do it remotely. I think that's all there is to it. Yeah. No. No. But my 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 point is is that. My point is about about that, and even you say about the NFL. You know, like I said, the minimum standard is still a very, very high is a, still a high standard. Look, you're not going to have 35 cameras and whatnot that you know, say the the Sunday night game has. You know, I just think that you know, I think the, what we accept is the minimum standard for the A League at the moment, and the A League women as well. Let's not forget about that. I think if we could call ourselves a professional league, I think they need, it needs to be. Re- I think it needs to go up a little bit and. Stuff like that like happened last night should not happen, either for, be it for a Tuesday night game or the match of the week. It It's that vicious cycle as well that you find, though, where like, you need people watching it to you know, justify the uptick in production as well because it is still a ratings-driven industry and with people cancelling Paramount because of the product left, right and centre, the justification to put more resources in it as well isn't always there. So... It, it, it's, it is the you know million dollar question for many companies right now as well alright um, I should probably wrap up with the 3-2-1 votes I'm doing uh, the votes for this so I'm going to start from the uh, bottom and go up one point Carlo Armiento two points Henry Hoare and I'm giving three points for Kai and not just because I think he was the Raw's best player uh, on the pitch but also because uh, he managed to get his nuts pancaked early in the first half and still came back to be the best player on the pitch Saw boys. <laughs> I'm leaving just, those strokes alone. I'm just letting that go, but I will say the, the one last thing about the JHA red card, James, is it does cost him the chance to play his 100th game for the Brisbane Raw this weekend because that was game 99. We were in game 100 this weekend, so you have to wait an extra week for the Melbourne City home game for that one. Oh, that's why he's doing it. He wanted it to be for the Saturday night primetime game. Probably did. Good for him. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, move on quickly and uh, chat about some news we've got about 20 minutes before we've got to wrap up and uh, the big story of the week was the sanctions handed down to the Melbourne victory Uh, if you 
haven't seen them yet. It's roughly $550,000 in fines and financial penalties. Um, a suspended points deduction of 10 points, which will be triggered anytime there is fan trouble causing a match abandonment. Um, Scott, your microphone's just uh, dropped down off your mouth as well, so I'll get you to fix that one up. Thank um, you. And also the active bays are gone for the rest of the season by the sounds of it. No concessions to be made for active fans. And finally, this might be the one thing that I really do have an issue with out of all those sanctions. The derby is going to be resumed in April from the 22nd minute. Adam, uh, I'll let you go first because I know Scott's got plenty to do, so I've got to give him time to come in off his long run-up. Normally, I'm the one for the long run, but yeah, look, si- simply put, um, look, uh, I, I, I said, I've said sort of you know, online my reaction on Twitter to it. Is that I? This is probably an unpopular opinion, um, and I'll get to why in a sec. I actually think that the penalties I think were probably around. It was I think it was pretty fair. At the end of the day, I think finding them a godly amount of money, I think was was you know I think that was inevitable. I think you had to send a message, and you know at the end of the day, it, it's, it's punitive measures. The look, I know a lot of people have actually sort of you know said why why didn't the points penalty uh, apply? And look, my my personal view on the points penalty is that at the end of the day, it's not it, it may be the club that's responsible. It may be the players that are representative. But the players or the club didn't cause that incident. It was the fans. So why should the players suffer? I, I've always said that points deductions should be reserved for systematic cheating, like Sarah Caprons, like what happened to Perth Glory all those years ago. So even the, even having that 10-point suspension at the end of the day, look, I think it's there for a deterrent, but I, I think it, it, it shouldn't be hanging those sort of penalties on... Um, on, on the club, other than as a deterrence mechanism, and, f- and finally, as far as you know, the the act of support bands and all that, look, that that's inevitable. You just can't, you weren't going to ha- reward those, uh, pl- the, reward those fans or those groups. You know, and I think I think the writing's on the wall that basically that it's they're going to be ruled on an iron fist for a while. One thing you didn't mention, James, was that also as well, no concessions. There's going to be no allocated away bays uh, for Melbourne Victory games as well. So basically. Um, whereas every every ground, irrespective if it's you know one fan or you know, 20 fans that show up and identify as Melbourne Victory supporters, they no longer have a bay at you know at say at Cairo Stadium. So that, that's again, uh, Melbourne Victory do travel. That, that might be nice. Well, if they go say to Sydney for a you know, a big blue, or you know it's going to affect what's going to happen on on uh, I think Saturday night for the original the original derby, but. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair, but my, my, in summary, my opinion is I think it's fair, but look, I, I know a lot of people saying, and I know my, my esteemed colleague here is going to say that it is uh, very, very lenient. I think it's, I think it is very lenient, Tetra. Yes, they've been fined a lot of money, James, and I do wonder if the um, stuff that came out in the last week about their financial situation has altered what that penalty may have been, but I'll, I won't go into that, but I do, the fine is fine, I've got no problem with that. I have no problem with the fact they can't have active support for the rest of the year, although I do expect in the off-season a new Melbourne Victory active supporter group to emerge and take that space. So really it's only for this year, so I'm sure they'll get that back at some point. I completely agree with you, James, about the derby. This game cannot continue. How can Melbourne Victory, whose fans got that game cancelled, 
Come back in April or whenever this is going to be played. Come back from a goal down and win the game. How is that equitable? That just that's just utter nonsense. And that people saying oh victory at last at the moment it doesn't matter. Well, they could find form in there. It's not the most inconceivable thing that you could imagine that they would. They got good players. They could find some form. That game could potentially put them into the finals. This should not be replayed. That should be a three nil to Melbourne City. Move on and let's never speak of it. Again, so that that's sorry, the whole thing. Sorry, Scott, can I just jump in there as well? Sorry, just about about the derby thing. I agree with you; it's ridiculous. Because yeah. and and one simply put, if if it's supposed to be restarted, aren't you supposed to have the same players on the pitch? Well, we know Nani's not going to be there because he's he's done he's done his ACL. And now look, best wishes to the two point six million dollars in wages on crutches at uh, at Melbourne Victory. And look, you know. All sort of you know, joking aside, you know, we, we wish him well. And that, so that's one, one of the big instances that did come out of what looked innocuous that came out of the Royal game on on Friday night. But uh, yeah, look, I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous, this, this derby. This I, derby resumption. The only uh, explanation I can think of uh, for the derby resume, uh, being allowed to resume rather than just declared a straight-up victory forfeit is the fact that uh, I think... I wonder if this is Football Australia's way of sort of saying, well, look, Melbourne City weren't blameless in this uh, instance either. Their fans were throwing flares onto the pitch, admittedly nowhere near Paul Lizzo at the other end. And, look, I don't blame Tom Glover one bit for launching the flare into the uh, fans' end. You know, form your own opinion on if it was deliberate. I think it might have just been a, a little bit too much power on it. But I think this could also potentially be um, the way of maybe saying, well, Melbourne City, you kind of played into this as well with your fans, so we're going to put the three points up for grabs. And just before we go back to you, Scott, you did steal my joke about, well, Melbourne City are last, so uh, maybe they decided that the points penalty wasn't necessary. So thank you for that. I wish Melbourne City were last. Melbourne Victory are actually yeah. last. But you know I what just I think mean. when it comes to the point is that Melbourne City's fans didn't get the game post when that was Melbourne Victory's fans. I just think, True. forget this game. It should never, we should never be played, never spoken of again. But... The other sanction about the points penalty, I completely disagree with Adam. For 10 years now, we have heard that off-field indiscretions from fans, flares, violence, antisocial behaviour can be a deterrent and is a deterrent that you can lose points for your club. For a long time, we've seen these these um, suspended points penalties put in place. I think Western Sydney have had it before, so have Melbourne Victory. If ever there was a time to activate... That didn't have to be a 10-point penalty. It could have been a 3 or a, a 5 or whatever... If ever there was a point to take some points off a team for, for some antisocial behaviour, this was the case. I mean, stop threatening this. I, I honestly laughed when I saw it yesterday in the Football Australia release. Oh, if they do it again within three years, then we'll take ten points off them. I mean, what a joke that is. As if it's going to happen again in the next three years. So forget that. I don't ever want to hear again about points penalties for, for these sort of matters because it's clearly never, ever going to happen. But if you're going to threaten it, that was the time to do it. So I thought they should have done it then. But now that they haven't done it, take it off the table and never bring it back again because it's clearly never going to be yeah. utilised. Yeah, and I've, I, the points penalty, yeah, I, I would have happily seen five points off and ten points deducted. The other thing I'm not uh, overly pleased about is the fact that it only applies to A-League men's matches. Now, we remember there were some issues uh, at the Melbourne Derby in the women's uh, comp last season. Melissa Barbieri had some bottles thrown at her by the, that same group of fans, go figure. Um, it wasn't, it was, um, what's the name? Micah, Tegan Micah. Tegan Micah, Tegan Micah sorry, my, my mistake. Um, but, yeah, what, like, they have had 
instances at non-A-League men's matches as well. There have been incidents at NPL Victoria, sorry, South Queensland matches. Josh um, Cavallo had his, um, they had a go at him last year as well. Yep, which, you know, if, if you're having a go at Josh Cavallo for being, like, for what you th- might think being a uh, crap footballer, that's fair game, but uh, not for his sexual orientation. That's definitely not on. I just, yeah, I think there needed to be some form of tangible points penalty as well, and yeah, if I'm putting it on the scale, I feel like it's, you know, 60-40 on the soft side, but the financial penalties can't be ignored as well, where when you consider, what, $550,000 in all-up penalties, four hundred Plus, it'll cost them more because all the active sports can't go, so it's going to be match day mm. revenue down as well. Yeah, so there's all of this going on as well. They've got to pay uh, for the damage to Amy Park and some of the costs. thousand dollars, yeah. And some of the costs, uh, minimum fifty k for restaging the game as well. So, I think it seems like they went for the wallet, and they probably could have gone a little bit further. But I do think you're right, Scott. I think the um, media release of the victory's finances from the last few years was definitely a uh, well-timed way to soften the blow either you know I think there's every chance it could have been uh, Football Australia coming in and saying hey, like uh, getting it out early and saying look you might be wanting a seven figure fine this is why it isn't going to be there and yeah anyway I was going to say James, James Johnson did come out and was quite saying that the, these sanctions are not designed to cripple Melbourne Victory and I know as fans sometimes I know there's a, a lot of hatred for Melbourne Victory and you, you know you wish all these things but look you got you got to take it from uh, Football Australia's point of view they're the independent arbiter um, and I don't think that you know even if, if the Raw did Raw and their fans you know heaven forbid did the same thing or even you know something remotely knowing the financial situation of the Raw you wouldn't want yeah, the independent arbiter to go in and just absolutely destroy the club and destroy it for years to come. Like I think in the raw, you know, a fine like that, that'd be game over. So the fact that Melbourne Victory will probably still be, you know, okay, I think that's actually, you know, a fair than cap for them. But you, you just, like I said, you're there. These punishments are there to sanction to sanction a club and make sure it doesn't happen again, not crippling for years. And like I said, you might have, you know, some idiot Melbourne City you know, fans. You know, out there saying, oh, it's not harsh enough because, you know, we want to see them dead and buried. And what does that achieve? And I think that's where, you know, you take your cap off as a fan and, you know, think logically and say, you know what, at the end of the day, and I think Scott said this um, when it happened, there really are no winners in this. So, you know, as a final victory, as a final victory, like, pardon the pun, to, to you know, find them in the Stone Ages or, you know, banish them, you know, from the next couple of years, basically, by basically, you know, sanctioning them, you know, ending finals football now. Like, what does that achieve? I just think, at the end of the day, yes, they did the crime, they deserve to be sanctioned, but you don't want to go so far that you basically destroy one of the foundation, you know, pillars of this competition, whether we like them or not. Yeah, and I know there will be some uh, fans of the NSL and those clubs as well claiming all sorts of things but at the end like to steal yeah, your phrase I know I've got to move on but there, there is a there is a yeah. preset that they were citing but not, not, I, yeah no, well, all, right. all I was going to say was right now you really can't afford to you know cripple a club into extinction whether it's an A-League club an NPL club or anything right now because again you know it's a tired excuse at this stage but the last three years for most of these clubs have been 
pretty tough financially as well and a lot of them would have been doing anything and everything they can just to scrape by so and again this isn't just an a-league thing it's uh some of the other local clubs as well we know a lot of them with not just covid but with weather phenomenons as well have been really doing it tough as well so i i think they've probably got it right in terms of being punitive but not crippling now what did sydney united get sanctioned for um the australia cup stuff that was like a a threat of like 40 odd points and um 15k fine 15k fine and potential expulsion from australia cup going forward so it's a bit of a difference in the fine between what victory got and sydney united got which is completely fair enough and also i think some of those involved have had to go do some sort of education courses where those that invaded the pitch are now facing criminal charges as well so yeah i think while certain elements could have been handled a bit tougher in my mind i think they probably found what would have been near enough to a happy medium now the domestic uh, transfer well the a-league transfer window is open and that means there is a little bit of business being done as well uh india page riley is back with the raw for the rest of the season uh she has come in as a injury replacement for mariel hecker by the sounds of it and well look i think uh, we can all say we're very glad to have her back in orange and black and really looking forward to seeing how she can contribute over the rest of the season adam yeah, look, uh, it'll be interesting to see how much of a player she has grown from when she left our shores two years ago and went and played a trade in uh, the, uh, the top women's flight in Denmark. Even has uh, even had some Champions League experience in, uh, over there. So um, I think that's be the most fascinating thing. Uh, obviously, Indy is a is now a uh, football firm's international. Uh, she's got. I, I'd say that she's pretty much all but locked in, in barring injury or you know dramatic form drop to be there at the world cup in um la this year so i think you know we'll be interested to see what she can do to to help the raw along but i think you know it's a, it's a decent signing uh to replace what was a very very important um part of that squad in uh meryl hecker yeah absolutely so- it's a it's a great replacement for meryl hecker isn't it? I mean, the very diff- different sort of players meryl's more more the creative type. Indy's a quick player who can get in behind and, and make things happen in that way. So a different sort of player. James, but a really great addition to the squad and maybe something the Raw could use a bit more of in that front than someone who can make those runs behind when Larissa Crummer's the ball's going up to her and she holds it up, maybe a bit of a flick on and India Page right can get in behind that way. Something like that might be an effective path to goal. It's a good addition, isn't it? I mean, the Raw, they haven't scored a lot of goals this year in the A-League women, so an addition like India Page right could certainly add to the Squad, it's good for her to be back in the other women's playing regularly ahead of what will be a home World Cup for her in New Zealand next year. And she was in the middles at one point, wasn't she? I don't know if she actually June ever got on the field. Cap. One cap. For, I think she was one got caught up for one of those games overseas, yeah. So a dual international, but she's opted to play for the nation of her birth, New Zealand, for more opportunity. Wish her all the best with that, but it's great to see her back here and hopefully she has a massive impact for the Raw in the second half of the year, James. You wish her all the best for that. I wish she was playing for the Matildas, but anyway. Uh, well, we're not going to see New Zealand at the World Cup, let's be honest, until the final. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, so that was uh, the big raw transfer news to date. And um, there's one other thing I was going to say about that as well. Oh, that's I right. Think, yeah. I think also as well, we'll be on, maybe by this time next week, we'll be talking about some, hopefully some men's transfers because the uh, the uh, it's uh, today is happy... Uh, uh, transfer window opening day so there we go let's ho- hope that um, see what yeah, we can manifest get, 
Yeah, and uh, there was also, I think you're about to tell us about some other news. Yes, the one thing I did just want to quickly mention as well is it feels like every Raw women's game I watch, there is one of those long balls played out from um, defence where it's like Norrie or Rankin just hitting the ball long, and you've seen Crummer uh, break through trying to chase that down as well, and maybe, you know, you could see uh, Riley just pushing onto those uh, as well and possibly getting a few one-on-one chances. Now, the other transfer update as well, we've got... A bit of an update in the curious case of uh, Riku Danzaki, where his uh, parent club, Constantel Sapporo, announced his uh, departure at the end of his contract with them, which it sounds like expires on January 31st, from what we've been told. Yeah, because the, um, the Japanese season continues until New Year's Day every year. That's when the Emperor's Cup final is played. So there's no point contract ending December the 31st when you might, we've got a game on the first, potentially. So they extend them out until the end of January. Yeah, Riku's contract has been, has, will not be renewed by Constantino Sapolo, so he, he is, I don't know if he is a free agent or not, but at the Raw, when they, initially, when they brought him back, if you remember, the wording in the statement was, on an initial six-month loan. So you have to imagine that they've probably got something lined up with Riku where he is going to be extended for either the rest of this season or the rest of this year and an extra season on top of that, but they'll probably have something lined up with him, but it is a bit of an interesting one for him. At least now there's some clarity he isn't going back to, to Sapporo. And also, uh, we should mention as well, last week we did say that um, yeah, the website Transfer Market had his contract listed as running out on December 31st, 2022. In between when we recorded on Wednesday night and Saturday when uh, you rechecked the site, Adam, there was a brief update saying he te- uh, his contract had technically been extended. So... That will be one worth watching over the time being because... Well, they've, they've said they've released him, so the, the, that's the end of it from Sapporo's point of view. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure there will yeah, be it's some... Yeah, it's just the dates, I think, they, they confused us. But yeah, but as you, as you explained, Scott, the reason why Japanese contracts do run the 31st of January is because of the um, of the Emperor's Cup final, which is traditionally on uh, New Year's Day in Japan, which is a very, very big occasion, I know. Indeed it is. Um, yeah, so that is the update, and hopefully next week we'll have uh, some more incoming signings to talk about. This coming weekend, we've got a pair of home games across the Raw men and women starting Saturday. The men are at home at KO Stadium. I almost called it Morton Daly. Um, and they're taking on the Wellington Phoenix in a game that, i got to be honest, I'm not expecting a lot of goals in this one as well because the Raw are missing uh, O'Shea, who's been their chief and at times only creative output. And Wellington are going to be missing a couple of players due to their own red card suspensions after their wild win last Saturday, which I can't believe it's taken us 50 minutes to bring up because I thought there was a chance we'd be leading with that game. Wasn't that mental, by the way? It was great. <sighs> I well love Wellington on that win, by the way. Congratulations. But yeah, it would be an interesting game up there at um, the Morton Bay insert sponsor here stadium. It might change by Saturday, James, so I wouldn't be too confident in calling it that. But... I think it'll be a really interesting game. The Wellington are... Well, I'll come into this game really confident, won't they, on the back of a really statement win for them. That could be a season-defining win for them to get that result away to Sydney FC. Not a great team at the moment, Sydney FC, but what they had to go through to get it could be really season-defining for them. For the Raw, no Jay O'Shea and no... Unless something changes in the next couple of days, no new strikers. So where the creativity and goals come from will be very interesting to see. I imagine it'll be Millie Orsic and Armiento up front once again, but it'd be very interesting to see who takes the creative playmaker role 
for the Raw. I assume it will be Ramat Akbari, but we'll have to wait and see. It could be Riku, I've, but I've got a I've got a theory. It might actually be Milay Uznich. Possibly. Just just a suggestion. Yeah, look, um, if this is a very interesting game, and uh, yeah, look, Wellington, Wellington, uh, like I said, it is a very very tight uh, ladder as we know it, uh, and like I said, it's. I think that you know the teams from about two through to about well, all the way down to you know the rest. I think it's a very very tight uh, comp. But yeah, the O'Shea being missing, I think, really worries me for the Raw. Like we've said, we've said that you know defensively they're strong, but with no midfield, pretty much to speak of. And you know Joe O'Shea was the one you know spark of life that they did have. You take him out of the equation, unless you, unless you know something, something we haven't factored in. Yeah, I actually think that you know Wellington might be, might be um, good for for all three points here. Yeah, no Joe Shea, maybe no Tom Alder as well. So not just lack of creativity in midfield, but potentially that's your two key leaders in the team, James as well. So not that there's not other experienced players out there. We saw Scott Neville take the armband in the back end of the game yes last night, but to lose your two key leaders, that's another thing that you've got to overcome as well. There's a lot for the Raw to overcome in addition to the fact that it's a a third game in eight days and a long trip to Perth as well. So there's a bit to overcome in this game. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yes, but Wellington will have to deal with the guy with the rubber glove at Customs. And that's a tough ask. That's a, that's a, that's, that's a, uh, that's a big hurdle to overcome. I've got two reasons for optimism, however, though. is uh, And this is going to sound a lot harsher than I mean it to, but the Raw now are used to playing without Tom Aldred with some of the injuries he's battled over the last year and a bit. And they've actually looked quite good in his absence as well. I think Chapman, Neville, Courtney Perkins, they're all quite solid at the back. And the second reason is I feel like Jordan Holmes is going to want to atone for that error for the first first goal. Yeah. So I think uh, that's going to produce a little bit more of a like strong rearguard effort on Saturday. Um, moving on to Sunday. In the you don't women. want predictions for that game, by the way? No, I'll get to that in a bit. Okay. Just quickly talk about the Raw at home to Adelaide, who are coming off a bit of a disappointing result last weekend. And, uh, and they're just a disappointing result just now. Oh, they're uh, playing yeah, now as well. They, yeah, they've just they've gone down 3-0 to Melbourne City. So, well, they're, everyone they're coming does that. In, yeah, they're, they're coming into this... Uh, they're, they're coming into this game, you know, on a bit of a... Uh, bit, very, very cold form. But uh, the Raw coming off the bye as well. And after, after a thumping loss to Sydney... Uh, yeah, this is going to be an interesting game. The last time these two sides met in uh, in this region, we know what happened. But I, I, I got a feeling it won't be that. I I, I don't think that this uh, Adelaide side, as much as I predict them to um, to be top of the table, so you're welcome. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be a close game. But yeah, I think I think the Raw, you know, will be looking to bounce back. You know, they'll, they'll be fresher. Oh, fresher, but um, yeah, it's um, going to be an interesting contest. I think, uh, especially if if you know, it also depends on the makeup of the side as well for for the raw. Your prediction is not worse than my A League men's prediction, by the way, Adam. That was Melbourne victory for me to win the A League, so that went that's going really well. But back to the women, this is redemption round. Adam mentioned it, twelve months ago. This 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 fixture was the game when the raw were well and truly embarrassed at home by Adelaide United. So. This game should be about redemption. Opportunity to go back out there against the same opposition, almost at the same same ground, just around the corner, and go out there and prove a point that you're not as bad as that. 
and they've had two weeks to prepare for this game, James. Off the back of a somewhat disappointing game against Sydney FC, where defensively they let themselves down attacking-wise, they were pretty good. So this is a chance to go out there and prove that last year's result was an aberration and that they're far better than that. That's the way I'll be looking at it. And they need the points as well, because we said before, it's all well and good beating the teams at the bottom end of the table. If they're all going to be the top four team we tipped them to be at the start of the year, these are the sort of teams that have to win. So this is a, a big game for, for the Raw. For sure as well. And and, uh, and, 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 all, and like I said, unless there's, something's happened out of that game, the, the chief tormentors in uh, Fiona Watts, Chelsea Dorber and Dylan Holmes, uh, and they all they all played uh, tonight. And I, I'd expect them to line up on on the weekend. So, yeah, like I said, to, to Scott's point about redemption, you know, the same same tormentors are there. So, you know, they're, and they're going to look for bounce back as well. So, this could be a very this could be a smoky of a game as far as you know. I think it might be uh, a very very good game coming up uh, on at uh, AJ Kelly Park, which is still called AJ Kelly Park. Thankfully, no uh, sponsorship name changes. From Peninsula Power there, but for uh, now give it a, give it a couple hours. The things change quickly up in Redcliffe. Yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, I will say as well, like there's a lot of the uh, Raw squad that would remember just how that loss to Adelaide felt last year, and I'm pretty sure some of them maybe just uh, writing down a few little reminders of uh, what they want to try and avoid this weekend as well. All right, let's wrap it up, um, Scott. What are you going to be talking about this time next week? Uh, one all draws in the men, and I think the Raw will get their redemption in the women's. Adam, uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a split weekend. I think uh, the the men, I think on the the backup, I think they'll, they'll fall just short. But I I do think the women um, may turn out, and as, as Scott said, the redemption arc. I think that's going to be uh, going to be sort of uh, prevalent. So it'll be it'll be a split weekend for the Raw. I'm going 1-1 draw for the men and uh, Riley goal is an, a Riley goal on return is enough to uh, secure the raw a point in the women as well. I'm thinking 2-2 for that one. So, look, if, if I'm correct on that, well done. Well done me and if you guys are correct, well done you. All right, that's going to be for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you once again, James. Adam? Thank you, yeah, Adam. Thank you and good night. And we'll be back to recap it all on the next edition of the Brisbane Football Review uh, next Wednesday night. We will talk to you then. Get out to the football this weekend. You've got two games to get to. I look forward to seeing you out there.